the Subtle Beast, everybody. I am your host, Foltz. With me, as always, my partner in crime and co-host, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. How are you? I'm doing good, Foltz. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited about tonight. We got a... It's a... Our topic tonight is kind of like a... Um, kind of like a break off of a, of a show that we did in the past. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, now, we've done a show in the past, uh, The Mothman. It was a great show. I love that show. Yeah, it was a lot of fun and uh, really broke that down. But what we really didn't touch on in that is what was behind the Mothman or what was perhaps, uh, you know, the thought or the consciousness behind the Mothman. And that's what we're going to do tonight with our show. Obviously, you saw the title entitled Indrid Cold. Now, if you saw the... Uh, the the Mothman prophecies they made it into a movie uh, with Richard Gere. It was a fantastic movie. I thought even every time I watch it to this day, it gives me the chills. But uh, there's a scene in it. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, I recommend seeing it. Um, people are you know reporting seeing this Mothman like creature. Uh, it's like a black entity with red eyes that they're seeing. Um, but that never actually speaks to anybody. But uh, there's a scene in the movie where Indrid Cold contacts Richard Gere in his hotel room. So basically, the consciousness behind the Mothman. So we're just going to play you a, a, a quick little clip from uh, from the Mothman prophecies of Richard Gere talking on the phone with uh, Indrid Cold. So here we go. Hello, John Clark. Who is this? My name is Indrid Cold. Yes, of course, you're Gordon Small. Your father was born in Racine, Wisconsin. He lived in a green house on Monroe Street. You don't remember how your mother looked. Okay, you got my attention. So, there it is, so... I love the way that sounds. Yeah, it's really creepy. And uh, spoiler alert, because we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that happened in, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> Mothman. But, uh, ooh, sorry, I had to get a drink. What was interesting was, uh, maybe you could hear in the clip there, that Richard Gere pushed uh, record on the answering machine so he could record it. <coughs> and then he had it analyzed uh, by professionals. And they said... Uh, whatever it is it's not it's not human vocal cords and he said well what is it he said as far as we can tell it's just energy so it's i was kind of thinking that same thing while i was listening to that i was like man this this concept this driving force behind the mothman injured cold is not an earthly being correct and i mean there's and there's many different theories on who and what injured cold is uh he's been referred to as the grinning man uh people that i've seen him have said that he resembles like the joker from batman if you will just this big uh grin on his face so i guess what we should do is just we should just jump right in here <coughs> and get to the bottom of uh who or what is uh injured cold <coughs> now <coughs> For several months towards the end of 1966, the eyes of the world were focused on West Virginia, specifically on Point Pleasant. 
Scores of people all reported seeing something similar. The creature became known as the Mothman. All of this seemed to lead to a terrible disaster when the Silver Bridge collapsed. All of this dominated headlines in newspapers. However, buried deep inside the pages of the press were claims of another bizarre sighting that has overshadowed by the Mothman and the Silver Bridge. His name was Indrid Cold, also known as the Grinning Man, and this figure has earned reputation in American folklore that persists to this day. Woodrow Derenberger, he made a living by selling sewing machines. On November 2, 1966, it was a long day for him. By 7 o'clock p.m., he was driving along a hill just outside Parksburg on Interstate 77 and was looking forward to arriving at home. On this cold and wet evening, the last thing he wanted was to have to stop on the side of the road to replace a sewing machine that had become dislodged in the back of his vehicle. The sewing machine was undamaged, and he quickly resituated it. Now, Darren Berger might have had might have parked parked a little bit better, but he had left enough room for other commuters to pass by this stationary vehicle while he tended to his business. None of these drivers came forward to confirm Derenberger's account of what followed. Having returned to the driver's seat of his van and continued on his way, a set of headlights passed him and began to slow down in front of him. For the second time, Derenberger had to stop. This time he had, to, he had to do so in the middle of the road. Careful not to dislodge any other appliances in his van, Woodrow was driving conservatively and likely not driving anywhere near the speed limit. Despite this, his first thoughts centered on a patrol car and a possible sobriety test. He quickly dismissed this conclusion when he realized that he was not looking at a car at all. Whatever this was, it was shaped much like an old-fashioned kerosene lamp with a central bulge and flared edges. A door slid open, and a man exited. According to Derenberger, the man was average in many ways. He had a deep tan and hair that was dark and swept back. A deep tan was unusual for this time of year, but the extraordinarily broad grin that this man wore was easily the most striking thing about his appearance. As soon as the man exited, he began to head in Derenberger's way. As the distance shortened, Derenberger noted that this man had a dark overcoat on, and beneath that, he wore a metallic-looking uniform that was green and glistened in the limited light. This man's arms were folded, and both sets of knuckles seemed to nestle within his own armpits. The man spoke. He identified himself as injured cold and said that he came from a place less powerful than the United States. He was very reassuring and admitted that he was flesh and blood, just like Woodrow, and in no way special or spectacular. Indrid also openly encouraged Woodrow to report the encounter to authorities, and confirmation would follow. Now, before he returned to his vehicle, Indrid revealed that this would be the first of several such meetings the pair would have. The whole message was delivered by something similar to telepathy, and not a single word was spoken verbally. Both Indrid Cold and the vehicle departed the scene. Now, Indrid Cold did keep his word. Woodrow received several additional visits from the same man. On some of these subsequent visits, Indrid was not alone. Derenberger revealed that his new friends came from a planet called Lanulos, and that during one visit, he was allowed to take a trip there. After the last of these meetings, Woodrow sought out a re-owned re UFO investigator, John Keel, 
who happened to also write a book about the Mothman and reported events in great detail. Perpetually, purportedly, during Keel's investigation, he often received mysterious phone calls from something calling himself Injured Cold. This was nothing new for him, of course, but he did mention persons and not person. Keel believed that whoever phoned him was an informed third party. Despite this, Keel wrote a foreword in Derenberger's book, Visitors from Lanulos. Woodrow Derenberger was not the only person to report an appearance from a sinister-looking, grinning man. On the very same night, on the very same road, two other men saw an elongated object land in front of their vehicle. They were also forced to stop, and they watched a man disembark and head their way. He wore a dark coat and coat and folded both arms in such a way that he could be considered uncomfortable. He asked both men questions that seemed pointless to them before the man returned to the craft that subsequently took off. Now several weeks before Derenberger had this encounter, a pair of boys met a man that scared both of them. The boys, James Yakititis and Martin Mouse Munov, were walking home along 4th Street in Elizabeth, New Jersey. They reached a corner opposite a local landmark called the Turnpike. This was an elevated area with a high wire fence and a steep incline. They reported that behind the fence stood the strangest man they had ever saw. Neither had any idea how the man got there and where he'd come from. The man just stood there and grinned a big old grin. There are other versions of the legend involving other sightings. However, not much has been heard of the grinning man since the 1960s. He has earned a legendary reputation that persists to this day among the men in black and the black-eyed kids. Interestingly, a recent admission by a man on Reddit that claimed to be injured cold. So what do you think about that? Uh, that's, that's the story right there. I mean, you have all your key players right there. You got your injured cold, and then you have your Derenberger. Uh, the fact that he had to stop in the middle of the road and then, you know, he's visited by this injured cold and he came out of a craft and then went back into his craft. I mean, that is... And it was corroborated by two other people, at least, that saw the same type of craft and they saw injured cold and subsequently saw the craft not only land, but then take off again. Yeah, that, I mean, that's an encounter... That's an, an extraterrestrial encounter for sure right there. Well, speaking of that, that's what we're going to get <clears throat> into in this next section about like the, the real initial counter with injured cold. So we may uh, repeat something go, uh, that, we have, that we've already mentioned in the beginning of this section of the initial encounter, but uh, you know, hang with us because it's going to be interesting and completely different. <clears throat> Now, Woodrow Derenberger, now he was a typical Appalachian man and a salesman for a sewing machine company who lived in Mineral Wells, West Virginia. On Wednesday, November 2nd, 1966, about 7.30 p.m., while, it was on, while was returning from Marietta, Ohio to his home, he had a strange experience. He was driving in his red panel truck on Route 77 in Parkersburg, West Virginia. He claimed that he saw a flying metallic cigar-shaped spacecraft. The ship traveled right back by his truck and blocked the roadway ahead and gradually made him slow down to stop on the side of the road. Now, Woodrow also described the vehicle as resembling a kerosene lamp <coughs> chimney 
The aircraft was hovering about 12 inches off the road. A door opened on the craft, and a being exited the ship, and the door shuts with a loud thunk behind him. Later, the vehicle climbed about 50 feet into the air above the highway. The being walked right up to Derenberger's truck window. <clears throat> Derenberger described the being as looking like an ordinary man of the street. Six feet tall, about 35 years of age, olive complexion, dark brown hair, and wearing a glossy metallic dark blue coat. The man spoke to Woodrow telepathically. His mouth did not move. Instead, he had a fixed smile on his face. The man looked in through the truck's window and said without saying something along the lines of, roll down your window, I want to talk to you, during their communication. The man called himself injured cold. He told Woodrow that he meant him no harm. In the famous Derenberger interview, he said, I was very frightened, and as far as I can understand, this was all mental. There were not spoken words from him. I knew what he was asking, but yet he stood there, and his mouth did not move. He had a smile on his face. He appeared very courteous and friendly. Injured Cold and Mr. Derenberger's conversation lasted about ten minutes. Cold told him, We eat, we breathe, we sleep. We bleed, even as you do. Before returning to his flying craft, he said, We will see you again. Derenberger later reported this event to the police. Woodrow's story gained traction in the media, <coughs> gaining news coverage and attention after Parkersburg police were convinced of his story. A representative of the Air Force even contacted him soon after his accounts were documented. On November 3, 1966, during the media storm, he went on live TV in Parkersburg, West Virginia, where he was interviewed by the state police. The Wood County Airport, the city police, and representatives from the Dayton, Ohio Air Force Base. <coughs> now, after the interview aired, an older man claimed that he too saw a figure matching the description of injured cold on Route 77, trying to flag him down, but he was afraid to stop. Derenberger's conversation with Cold could be corroborated. Other people claimed to see the lights and fluttering vehicles at the same instant on the road. There were several witnesses that reported seeing Woodrow Derenberger stopped on the highway, talking to this man, and some even saw the flying craft parked on the road. Reports poured in of strange lights in the sky and beings, all at the same time, at the same place, on the highway I-77 on that night of November 2nd, 1966. It was big news in the area. For almost three weeks, the Parkerburg News chronicled Derenberger's story and a number of forthcoming witnesses, many of whom asked to remain anonymous or have their names withhold. John Keel talked with Woodrow Derenberger and conducted his own interview and investigation. Gray Barker, a science fiction writer from Braxton County, West Virginia, also talked to Woodrow. <clears throat> Over the course of the month that followed, Derenberger claimed that he was visited by injured cold many times, and that he even took him on a spacecraft to his planet. Injured cold would also appear at Woodrow's front door. His wife and children even knew that this injured cold was paying him visits, and they can even eventually came forward saying they too saw injured cold and other strange beings. Woodrow's wife was terrified and stated that these beings were much like us, traveled in everyday cars, dressed in everyday clothes, but were not human in origin. There was even one time where Mr. Derenberger disappeared for six months and said he was with injured cold. 
This is what members of his family actually believed. He would also receive mental messages from his long-distance friend. They would come suddenly and leave piercing migraine headaches. His residents would often receive strange unknown phone calls. Sometimes they were threats to stop speaking about his appearance. Other times they were odd beeps and electric hums. Sometimes it was just silence. The family changed their number to an unlisted one, but somehow the calls continued. His story gained such media attention that locals would flock to his house all hours of the day and night and wait in crowds in his driveway to catch a glimpse of his friend, Injured Cold. Bogle Ridge is another location associated with the story. Derenberger claimed to go there to meet with Injured Cold and go on rides into outer space. Some locals claim to actually have seen spaceships land there. On one occasion, two men armed with loaded rifles were hiding in the woods by Derenberger's property. They observed a black Volkswagen enter his front yard. A peculiar man dressed in all-black suit with tan skin exited and talked with Woodrow before leaving. The hunters were disappointed. They waited even longer, wanting to see something truly terrifying. But maybe they already had. Woodrow hadn't heard of the men in black, but after this visit, he was extremely frightened by them. Derenberger eventually decided to seek medical attention in the opinion of a Parkersburger psychiatrist. He's not... He's not only leaves with a clean bill of health and absolutely no evidence of chemical imbalance or disruption, but his very doctor enjoys a reaction soon after meeting. He is contacted in December by a most peculiar man. His name is Injured Cold. He doesn't reach out by phone, but telepathically. Woodrow Derenberger later related his stories to an author. In 1971, they published a book titled Visitors from Lanulos which told of Woodrow's visit from Injured Cold. The book contained a foreword dated October 12, 1968 by John Keel. Here are some excerpts from John's foreword. There are many who will scoff at this book and reject it entirely. Woodrow Derenberger will be called a liar, a psychopath, and many other unpleasant things. He has already suffered considerable ridicule and condemnation, even from those who believe in flying saucers, but do not wish to believe that someone is actually riding around in them. I cannot endorse his story, but I do feel I know the man well enough to give him a character reference. The important thing is that he seems to be telling the truth as he knows it. He sincerely believes that he knows these things happened to him, and he is willing to expose himself to ridicule and condemnation in order to make himself heard. I have talked to contactee claimants who are doctors, lawyers, newspapermen, police officers, and pilots. Woody has a lot of company, sane, reputable people. Perhaps we are the ones who have been insane for ignoring them for so long. Strange, unbelievable things that are now happening to people all over the world. By listening to a handful of courageous ones, like Woodrow Derenberger, we may at last gain some real insight into what is really behind the UFO phenomenon. Now, I'm not asking you to believe any of it, but I'm asking you to listen to what he has to say. Incredible, though it may seem, it is very possible that these very same things could happen to you tomorrow. In 1975, John Keel published his book, Mothman Prophecies, which detailed his experiences in West Virginia investigating UFOs and the Mothman. 
The book mentions Woodrow Derenberger and his encounters with injured cold, along with many other strange things that are said to have happened in West Virginia in 1966 and 1967. Woodrow's overall experience as a contactee didn't just negatively affect him, but his family and his closest friends. It came by the way of years of harassing phone calls, losing jobs, losing friends, people trespassing on his property, ridicule, embarrassment, painful headaches and depression. He suffered a bitter divorce and had to move away from the area because of his notoriety. He would later tell us of his writing... (coughs) He would later tell how his writing would disappear from his locked house and letters he sent would never reach their destination. He felt he was being watched. He moved away to escape his past and lived elsewhere for a long time. Now, Years later, he moved back to the area and passed away in 1990 at the age of 74. Darren Berger never denied his earlier claims. He simply stopped discussing them. In 2002, the Mothman Prophecies movie loosely adapted John Keel's book. The film used the idea of injured cold and even had a character named Gordon that was based on Woodrow Derenberger. The Woodrow Derenberger interview tapes now sit in public view at the Mothman Museum. Glenn Wilson, who worked at WTAP-TV, had these reel-to-reel tapes for close to 30 years. He was going to throw them away on his retirement, but instead gave them to Susan Shepard, the creator of haunted Parkersburg ghost tours who loaned them to the museum. In 2011, a documentary called The Eyes of the Mothman featured the injured cold story. It told of Woodrow Derenberger's encounters, had Susan Shepard to comment on it, and even included dramatization of the event. So, yeah, man. <clears throat> getting deeper into... You know, that there is a little bit of separation here between what some people just have claimed to have seen the Mothman and direct dealings with this entity, Injured Cold. Woody Derenberger had just a full relationship with Injured Cold. And not just, and Injured Cold just turns out to be not just anybody, but turns out to be an extraterrestrial who has a craft who Woody has gone on and claims to have gone to this planet it seems like he what he's saying is other races of extraterrestrials along with them he just called them his friends yeah yeah so i mean that's got to be that's got to be pretty wild i mean and even the family said well we've met injured cold and they said that they were kind of like weirded out by some of the other entities yeah i can't imagine my wife and kids you know it's one thing that I see this and this happens when I'm on the road coming back from work. But the fact that it got so intertwined in his life that there's a part where he's missing for six months and he said, I was with injured gold and his family believed it. And they just accepted it as, as okay, we don't have to ask any more questions. Right. What he said, you know, where was Woody? Well, he's with injured cold. It's almost like in, in, in the Bible when, uh, when Mary asked Jesus, well, where have you been? I, and then his response was, I've just been dealing with, uh, uh, I've been tending to my father's business. And that was just it. So I was with injured cold. Right. And his family knows enough and has probably felt, you know, the importance of injured cold's relationship with Woody, where they were just like, okay, this, this thing is bigger than us. Like, because it's never really said that it was or at least not yet, that it was a, a bad relationship for them to have. Right. No, I agree with that. It, it was 
it was if it had a time though like there was a last visit right and that's kind of the part i think where woody started paying the price because he's telling everybody about it and everybody kind of ridiculed him and shunned him to the point where he just left yeah well what we should just let's this next part here we go down the rab or the rabbit hole a little bit further with injured cold so take us away Injured cold has been linked to real phenomenon, and many people claim to have encountered him. Some say that there is only one grinning man. Some say that there are many, but all eyewitnesses agree on one thing. He will scare the hell out of you. Eyewitnesses believe that injured cold is one of the mysterious men in black, an alien, some other unknown creature, or all of the above. Wherever injured cold has been, wherever he's been seen ufo sightings disasters or other strange phenomenon seem to follow just 10 days after woodrow derenberger's encounter with injured cold another series of bizarre events began to unfold all around the region receiving the worldwide attention of the press at the time an injured cold seems to be involved on november 12 1966 Near Clendon, West Virginia, five men were in the local cemetery digging a grave for a burial when something that looked like a brown human being lifted off from some nearby trees and flew over their heads. The men were perplexed. It did not appear to be a bird, but more like a man with wings. This incident would be the first of many to come. I'm loving it. Late. In the evening of November 15, 1966, two young married couples, Roger and Linda Scarberry and Steve and Mary Mallet, had a very bizarre encounter as they drove past an area of town known as the TNT area. The site of the former World War II munitions plant near Point Pleasant, West Virginia. The couples saw two large eyes that they said glowed red in the car's headlights and were attached to something that looked like a man, but bigger, maybe six or seven feet tall, and it had wings folded against its back. When it moved towards the plant door, they panicked and sped away. Just a short time later, they saw the same creature on a hillside near the road. It spread its 10 to 12 foot wings and flew into the air and gave chase to their car, which was now traveling at 100 miles per hour. When they got into town, they made a report of the horrifying event to the deputy sheriff, Millard Halstead. They reported that whatever it was had followed them down Highway 62 to the Point Pleasant city limits. They would not, only, they would not be the only ones to report the strange creature that night. Another group of four witnesses claimed to see the same thing three different times. Another sighting had even more inexplicable results. At about 10.30 p.m. on that same evening, Newell Partridge, a building contractor who lived in Salem, which is about 90 miles from Point Pleasant, was watching television when the screen went dark. He reported that an eerie pattern filled the screen, and it, it was when he heard a loud whining sound from outside that raised in pitch and then stopped. Partridge said it sounded like a generator winding up. Partridge's dog, Bandit, began to howl at the front porch, and he grabbed a flashlight and went out to see what was going on. 
When he got outside, he saw a bandit looking at the barn about 150 year, about 150 yards from the house. So Partridge shined the flashlight over in that direction and spotted two red circles that looked like bicycle reflectors. The red orbs were not like any animal's eyes he had ever seen, and the sight of them frightened him to the core. Bandit, a hunting dog, and protective of his territory, took off across the yard in pursuit of the glowing red eyes. Partridge commanded him to stop, but Bandit was hot on his trail. Partridge turned and went back into the house to get his shotgun, but realized he was too scared to go back in his house again. That night, he slept with his gun propped up next to his bed. The next morning, he realized Bandit had not come back. Two days passed, and Bandit still had not shown up. When Partridge read in the newspaper about the sightings in Point Pleasant the same night as his own strange sighting, one statement read that he read chilled him to the bone. Roger Scarberry, one member of the group who spotted the strange creature at the TNT plant, said that as they entered the city limits of Point Pleasant, they saw a large dog laying on the side of the road. A few minutes later, on their way back out of town, the dog was gone. They even stopped and looked for the dog, knowing they had just passed it a short time before. Newell Partridge immediately thought of Bandit, who he had never seen again. On November 16th, a press conference was held at the county courthouse, and the couples from the TNT plant sighting retold their story. Deputy Halstead, who had known the couples all of their lives, took them very seriously. They've never been in any trouble, he told investigators, and had no reason to doubt their stories. A wildlife biology biologist, Dr. Robert L. Smith of West, West Virginia University, told reporters that descriptions and sightings all fit the description of the Sand Hill Crane, a large American crane, about as tall as a man, with a seven-foot wingspan, and circles of reddish coloring under his eyes, and that the crane may have been blown out of its migration route by a severe storm. The news of the sightings spread around the world. The press dubbed the creature the Mothman after a character from the popular Batman television series. I didn't know that about the Batman. All right. The remote and abandoned TNT plant became the haunt of the Mothman in the months ahead. The area was made up of several hundred acres of woods and large concrete domes where the high explosives were stored during World War II. A web of tunnels under the area made it possible for the creature to move about without being seen. The area also was encompassed the McClintic Wildlife Station, a heavily wooded preserve filled with ponds and steep ridges and hills. Much of the land was almost inaccessible. Mothman could have hid there for weeks or months, or he could have remained there indefinitely unseen. The only people who have ever strayed there were hunters, fishermen, and teenagers who used the dirt roads as a lover's lane. <clears throat> few homes could be found in the region at the time, but one of the few belonged to the Thomas family. On November 16th, they spotted a red light in the sky and move, that moved and hovered above the TNT plant. Mrs. Marcella Bennett, a friend of the Thomas family, reported, We couldn't figure out what it was. Mrs. Bennett drove to the Thomas house a few minutes later 
and got out of the car with her baby girl. When she got out of the car, a figure stirred near the automobile. It seemed as though it had been laying down, she later said. It rose up from the ground, a big gray thing, bigger than a man with terrible glowing eyes. Miss Bennett was so horrified, she dropped the baby. She quickly recovered and picked up her child and ran into the house. The family locked the doors and hysteria gripped them as the creature moved onto the porch and peered into the windows. The police were called, but the, moth, the mothman had vanished by the time the authorities arrived. Mrs. Bennett would not recover from the incident for months, and she was so troubled she had to seek medical attention to deal with her fears. She was plagued by frightening dreams that later told investigators the creature had visited her also. She said that she could often hear the sounds of a woman screaming near her secluded home on the edge of Point Pleasant. Many would come to believe that the sightings of the Mothman, as well as the UFO sightings, encounters with men in black, and Woodrow Derenberger's run in with injured cold, were all related. For nearly a year, strange happenings continued in the area. Researchers, investigators, and monster hunters descended on the area, but none as famous as author John Keel, who has written extensively about Mothman and other unexplained anomalies. By this time, most of the sightings had come to an end, and Mothman had faded away from which he had come. But the story of Point Pleasant had not ended yet. Around 5 o'clock in the evening, on December 15th of 1967, the 700-foot-long bridge linking Point Pleasant to Ohio suddenly collapsed while filled with rush-hour traffic. Dozens of vehicles plunged into the dark waters of the Ohio River and 46 people were killed. Two of those were never found and 44 others were buried together in the town cemetery in Galapolis, Ohio. The collapse of the Silver Bridge made headlines all over the country. Television crews from everywhere descended on the town. The local citizens were stunned with horror and disbelief, and the effect of the tragedy is still being felt today. There were no Mothman reports in the immediate aftermath of the December 15, 1967 collapse of the Silver Bridge, but strange things still took place. A reporter by the name of Mary Hare who was the Point Pleasant correspondent for the Athens, Ohio newspaper The Messenger, wrote extensively about local sightings. After one active weekend, she was swamped with over 500 phone calls from people who saw strange lights in the skies. One night in 1967, she was working late in her office in the county courthouse, and a man walked in the door. He was very short and had strange eyes that were covered with thick glasses. He also had long black hair that was cut like a bowl haircut. Heyer said that he spoke in a low, halting voice. He was not interested in the Mothman or the Silver Bridge disaster. Instead, he was asking questions about the people who were reporting seeing the strange lights in the sky. Also, he asked for directions to Welsh, West Virginia. She thought that he had some sort of speech impediment, and for some reason, and he terrified her. He kept getting closer and closer to me, and his eyes were staring at me hypnotically. Frightened, she called the newspaper's manager into her office. 
where they spoke to the strange man. She said at one point in the discussion, she had to answer the telephone when it rang, and she noticed the man picked up a pen from her desk. He gazed at it with astonishment, as if he had never seen a pen before. Then he took the pen and laughed loudly as he ran out of the building. Several weeks later, Hire was crossing the street near the office when she saw the same man on the street. He was startled when he realized that she was watching him, turned quickly and ran to a large black sedan that suddenly came around a corner. The man climbed in it and quickly drove away. That same night, an identically described man visited the homes of several people in the area who had reported seeing the lights in the sky. He made all of them very uncomfortable. He claimed to be a reporter from Cambridge, Ohio, and inadvertently admitted that he did not know where Columbus, Ohio was, even though those two towns are just a few miles apart. Could this man be who was reported by the witnesses? Be the mysterious injured cold? Or was he one of his lower-level MIB lackeys? The fact is that we may never know. Point Pleasant is proud of its bizarre history, and in 2002 held its first annual Mothman Festival. The festival is a weekend-long event held on the third weekend of every September. There are a variety of events that go on during the festival, such as guest speakers, exhibits, and a hayride tour focusing on the notable areas of the Point Pleasant and relate to the Mothman sightings. In 2003, the town unveiled a 12-foot-tall metallic statue of Mothman. The statue stands in the center of town and is a big draw for travelers who are just passing through or anyone who wants to have their photo taken with the local legend. In 2005, the Mothman Museum and Research Center opened its doors to the public and to this day remains the only Mothman-themed museum in the world and is run by Jeff Wamsley. So if you ever find yourself driving through wild, wonderful West Virginia and you see a sign that reads, Welcome to Point Pleasant, stop in and have a look around. But always keep an eye open because some say that the Mothman is still around somewhere, hiding and watching from the thick wooded areas that surround this little town. And who knows, the next corner you turn, you might find yourself face to face with a creepy grinning man in a dark suit who, who calls himself Injured Cold. I love it. Yeah. And I love the fact that they brought up the Mothman Festival. Steve and I are gonna do our, do our best to uh, to be at the next one in uh, September of 2020 and see if we can't just get ourselves one of those guest speaker uh, yeah. slots there. So it'd be great if there's anybody uh, that that's close to there that uh, that's gonna be there or or you go regularly, uh, reach out to us and uh, and let us know uh, you know what to expect, what goes on there, and. Uh, We'll see if we can't get a little uh, Subtle Beast podcast get together down there and uh, get some fans together and you know have some fun at the Mothman Festival. Look for injured cold. Yeah. So, um, so what we're gonna do? Um, wrapping, wrapping up real quick. Um, <clears throat> we're just gonna give uh, you know a couple or another another person's perspective on what he thinks that uh, injured cold slash the Mothman could possibly be. Now, many people believe that Injured Cold is actually a government man in black who was sent to Point Pleasant to dissuade people from reporting on what they saw. Now, this theory would suggest that the Mothman phenomenon was some type of military testing. 
Now, the problem I have with this theory is that if the government wanted to keep top secret equipment and tactics top secret, they wouldn't have tested them in and around Point Pleasant, unless they also wanted to test the psychological effects of said equipment slash tactics. Now, ultimately, that theory ends up being a balancing sheet. It just had it just as many bad points as good points. Now, I have slightly different theory on the alleged Mothman injured cold phenomenon, and it's based off two very strange, possibly waking dream experiences that I had. In short, I believe that the Mothman and Indrid are basic archetypes of the human collective consciousness. This symbolizes our basic concept of good versus e evil, or superhero versus supervillain. If Mothman represents the good guy who is trying to warn people of the upcoming bridge disaster, and Indrid was the bad guy who wanted to keep people quiet, each represents a basic good-slash-evil archetype that seems to be echoed in popular culture. And consider the examples like Batman versus the Joker, or Superman versus Lex Luthor. Now, I'm sure there are other examples, but you get the idea. That a desire to have a superhero to come and save us from the forces of evil is just basic human thought form. Now, while everyone has different ideas on what their savior might be, most of these ideas center upon a caped or winged being flying down from the sky to save us. Now, when all of these concepts are put through a blender of humanity's collective subconscious, you might get something that looks a bit like the Mothman, a winged humanoid creature with glowing eyes but with no discernible face. Our ideas of evil are often more centered on human wickedness. Even the concept of Satan is one of temper. Loki, of Norse mythos, is often seen as a grinning charmer with barely concealed wicked intent. Not too unlike the Joker of DC Comics fame. Now keep in mind that Injured Cold was also referred to as the Grinning Man by everyone who saw him for, who saw him save for Woodrow uh, Derenberger. So what do we have here? Humanity's historical concept of good versus evil continue to play themselves out in a collective subconscious and ever so rarely projected onto the outside world and reflected back to us in images of the Mothman and Injured Cold. In other words, you can't have one without the other. Well, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. Um, me and Steve were talking about it earlier. We have a different outlook on it we don't we don't we don't see it as this gentleman see he sees uh injured cold and mothman as like a yin and a yang right like uh, opposite sides of the fence right versus what we've come to put together now of course now this is just subtle beast theory is that you now what were we saying that injured cold is is the, the mothman. mothman right so he's kind of like the driving force behind the mothman right he's got it's the voice, you know, the, the, the telephone calls. The Mothman is what people are seeing, but that, like, the, the brains behind the operation. The intelligence, the, the consciousness. In, yeah, is injured cold. Yeah, um, I totally agree with that. So it's basically to say, like, uh, the Mothman can't exist without injured cold. Right. But injured cold, no, I said that backwards. No, no, injured cold can exist without oh, yeah. the mothman oh right exactly exactly so yeah i mean that's why like, like if you think back to the movie if you saw the movie when uh richard gear was trying to get as much information on uh the mothman or injured cold at the time 
he's asking all kinds of questions and the guy's just telling him he's like well we're not allowed to know and he says well why doesn't he just explain himself to us and he was like well have you ever tried explaining yourself to a cockroach it's like what do you explain how, i mean how do you explain yourself to somebody if you're from a different dimension or a different realm now he says that andrew cole says he comes from a place that's not quite as powerful as the united states that doesn't necessarily mean in this reality right it doesn't i mean he wasn't saying that he's coming from a different country right and also in the movie too when when you someone would see the mothman they they would just see this image of like this black winged figure with red eyes now it would never say anything but it would just basically quite frighten them and it could leave marks on cars and trees and uh when the, when Richard Gere was asking the the one guy that had studied it for years why you know why is it coming after me now and he basically said you noticed it and it noticed that you noticed so when you took notice to him and you started paying him all this attention he basically said oh you want to know what injured cold is but basically injured cold keeps filling him with a bunch of different riddles that he just has to keep figuring out and he gets them wrong and the grinning man that's how yeah, it's it, a grinning it. man i mean it in longer stories out there i mean it's it, it's basically people that have dealt with injured cold have gone mad and just killed themselves or ended up dead of some some i don't know of what just l- wandered out into the cold just losing it <laughs> no pun intended <laughs> the injured cold yeah so but yeah i mean injured cold is always just uh, one of those topics that i like talking about he uh or it is one of those names that when you mention it or you mention just the way that he talks it just makes the hair on your arm stand up i know just playing that little clip at the beginning with that energy or just like electricity type of voice that's just talking it's pretty creepy for sure but i mean it it, there has to be there has to be something to it. I mean, this man just doesn't seem like he'd be going around making up names like injured cold, and then this whole situation that happened in West Virginia, where he was getting all these clues, and the bridge finally collapsed, and now they got festivals there. There's more to it. Me and Steve need to get down there and investigate it ourselves. Some eyewitness, some, yeah. Spend some time down in West Virginia at the uh, at the Mothman Festival, and like I said, we're uh, we're doing what we can to see if we can't get on that. Uh, guest list of uh special speakers down there that'll be a lot of fun we'd like to hopefully be able to interact with some of you if not all of you that we could meet up with down there but uh that's our show on uh injured cold for tonight i hope you enjoyed it uh, as much as we did uh putting it together and uh recording it for you and uh till next time i'm Foltz. and i'm steve and we'll see you next time take care of one another bye bye